Well, this is a part of the t- uh, team of high school students. Um, about half of them go to Great Oaks, half of them go to other churches. And uh, just thank you guys, that, especially go to other churches. You're here with us this morning. We've got a couple of the team members that were gone. They're already traveling this weekend. But I wanted you to meet them and hear from them and their experiences. So real quick, guys, just introduce yourselves and what year are you in school? I'm Matt Weber. I'm a senior at Metamora. I am Jonathan Yates. I'm a senior. I'm Dan McGuire. I'm a junior. Whoa. Dude, you took your deep voice pills this morning. That was awesome. Do it again. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I kind of interrupted you, so I was just like struck. So go ahead and finish. Dan McGuire, what year? I'm a junior. All right, there we go. We call him Shady. So just if we say Shady, that's who we're talking about. Lately, Uh-oh. Go ahead and try it and pass it down. We'll see if it works. Bailey Wilmot. No, here. I'll take that one. Bailey Wilmot, and I'm a junior. I'm Ashley Shire, and I'm a freshman. I'm Allison Ingstrom, and I'm a senior. I'm Lindsay Steffen, and I'm a sophomore. I'm Lindsay Saganik, and I'm a senior. All right, cool. Um, for how many of you, just raise your hands real quick. How many of you, this was your first ever missions trip? All right. That was pretty much our experience. Like over two-thirds of the trip was the first time they'd ever been on a missions trip and ever been out of the country on something like this. And uh, so even the bus ride, you know, once we got there, um, we had quite an adventure getting there. We missed our flight in Chicago. Uh, We had to break the team into three different groups to get to Miami for an extra night. And so come Sunday morning, we're sitting poolside in Miami. Not a bad missions trip start so far, um, other than the panic of missing the flight. Two different flights to San Pedro Sula. Like, we arrived at the camp mid-morning on Monday. We were supposed to be there Saturday. Um, So we talked to them about flexibility before we even left. They experienced it big time. So, um, But even the bus ride there, I mean, we saw things that most of us will never see unless you go on an experience like this, just the level of poverty um, that even around here we don't see in the U.S. Um, So you guys, talk to us a little bit. Um, What were some of your, your highlights? What were some of the favorite things from the trip? Um, honestly, one of the best parts was the 16-hour layover we had in Chicago O'Hare Airport. Uh, it seems really boring, but it was actually kind of fun, and it, like, bonded our team because we had nothing to do but chill in an airport, so yep. it was cool. Well, and, and we had part of us were in Atlanta at that point for, like, five hours. Yeah. Then we were in, in Miami for, like, eight hours, so we got to know the airports really, really well, and they had a lot of fun riding the trams and the trains and escalators <laughs> up and down, and only a couple minor injuries. And the Easter Bunny in the Miami oh, airport gosh. was really strange. Um, but and, and anytime you do a missions trip, there's always inside jokes. So we'll try to limit those as we talk here this morning. But other, oh, my stars. Oh, my stars. Hey, did you know we had a high school student and a college student that learned that Washington, D.C. is the capital of the United States of America? <laughs> wow. The Hondurans knew that. We're like, hey, what's the capital of, of, of the United States? Washington, D.C. Doesn't everybody know that? So anyway, I won't point any fingers. Um, so who, other highlights? Um, it wasn't Shady. Shady just reminded me of it. Definitely playing with the little kids. They were so deprived for attention. and yeah. It was just really cool just having them just come up to you and just, I don't know, it changed. Hopefully we changed their lives, but they also changed ours. So. Yeah. In the mornings we do work projects. In the afternoon we did a vacation Bible school with like 30, 40, 50. Like they, the numbers grew every day. They heard the gringos were in town, so they wanted to come see what was going on. So. Gringos is not a derogatory term in Honduras, by the way. We thought it was, and they kept calling us. They were like, all right, we'll roll with it. So what else? Other highlights? 
Um, one of the days when we were mixing concrete for uh, or cement for um, the fire pit, it started raining really bad. And on the way back from doing that, we kind of slid in the mud a little, and then it broke out a into little? huge. A little. Okay, it was a lot. But we broke out into, like, a huge soccer game in the mud, and it was just a lot of fun, and everybody was staring at us like we were weird. Yeah, while we were there, there was a a gathering of all the Central American Youth for Christ workers, so people from all these different countries gathered at this camp, and they're all having this conference in there, and, you know, Florida ceiling windows looking out on the soccer field, and there's all the gringos out there playing mud soccer. So the, the guys stopped talking at one point inside, and they all came out with their cameras and started taking pictures. So, And a few of them joined us. Um, we, uh, did an Easter egg hunt with the kids at the VBS and they've never done it before. So they just thought it was really cool. And we only told them to get three eggs because we didn't think there'd be enough, but kids had like their whole shirts filled with eggs and (laughs) it was cool. Bailey? Um, I liked playing with the kids at VBS and I was doing crafts with them one day and I know how to make roses out of (laughs) Play-Doh. So I made one and then one of the kids wanted it and he took it home. And then they all started asking for them, and they all took them with them. Yeah. One of the things we talked about as a team was during the VBS, we'd give them you know, things like pipe cleaners and balloons and Easter eggs and things that a lot of our children, American kids, would just go, oh, great, thanks, you know. And it was a, it was a precious treasure to these guys because they had nothing. And so Play-Doh roses, you know, little pipe cleaners twisted and look like fish. These kids loved that. So, yeah, it was absolutely incredible. Talk to me about how you were challenged during the trip. Maybe it was a physical challenge, spiritual, emotional, relational. What were some of the challenges from the trip? We couldn't flush toilet paper. <laughs> we couldn't flush toilet paper. Yes, we discovered that day one. We're like, really? Wow. All right. We'll roll with that. So, um, Definitely emotionally because seeing, like, their houses and, like, how, like, just what they have and then, like, coming back here and, like, seeing... All that we have, it's kind of hard to, like, be okay with how it is. But yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm with you. I've been wrestling with that ever since. So. What else? You have to be flexible and patient because you could end up spending a lot of time in the airports <laughs> and get to know them pretty good. So. Yep. And, and you got to be flexible that when you're taking a shower and the water stops working halfway through and you're all soaked up. And it's... Really cold and yep. And you have a frog in your bed. You know, some of those find a big frog jump on their bed. So chickens waking you up at like five in the morning. And snoring, and snoring. And chihuahuas barking. We were gonna have chihuahua lunch one day because this thing was about to die. I was gonna kill it. So good, we found out that the group. Pastor. Yeah, yeah. He just said good pastor. Um, I don't care. I was, ready, I was ready to punt that dog. Oh my gosh. Um, and like the gr- there was a group from Nicaragua there that spoke no English whatsoever, but they were like early risers. They wrote before the, oost- the roosters did. And roosters? Where did that come from? <laughs> roosters did. And they were like loud talkers and like in the room right next to us. We're like, shut up. What else? One of them for me. Um, I don't speak any Spanish. So like I went down there and there's these kids. And they're like trying to talk to you and they're so excited and you're like... Don't know what you're saying. Like you're you're trying so hard to like figure out what they're saying, but it's just oh, it's terrible. But <clears throat> it was really cool because you could still like figure stuff out. Like you both had to be really patient because you're trying to like mime things. But it was still really cool, even yeah. though it's difficult. Yeah. What else? Ashley, you got the mic. You got anything to add? 
Nope. What's that? They stole yours. All right. All right. Um, we didn't get to ask this question last time, so I'll end with this question. What did you learn about each other? I mean, you all go to high school together. You've all known each other for a number of, of years. What did you learn? And be nice. All right. Be nice. What did you learn about each other? What's that? No. <laughs> no, we can't talk about that. <laughs> What'd you learn? I think I learned about this whole group just that like we are really good like under pressure and like being patient and everything because when we missed our first flight we kind of just laughed it off and hung out and just had fun. So. Yeah. Um, I've I've traveled with students and I've traveled with adults and they're a lot easier to deal with than you guys are. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Like, learn flexibility. If you travel with us in the future, learn flexibility. So, um, Definitely, like, I feel like we didn't really know each other that well when we started out the trip. But uh, through everything we've been through together now, like this life-changing experience, we all, I think we all feel really close to each other now. And it's, yeah. it's really cool, though, just like one week you spend together and you feel like your family. Absolutely. And we're Facebook buddies. Yeah, it's all good. Facebook buddies. Yeah. What else? One more thing. You almost like feel closer to these people than like with friends that you used to be friends with and don't really talk to as much anymore. Like even people that like you're really close to in grade school and whatnot, and then high school came and you didn't really talk to them anymore. Like you feel a lot closer with these people than what you do with those friends. Yeah. Yeah. Shared experience like this really bonds you closer. So, thanks, guys. Um, I know that many of you financially supported these students and myself as well and prayed for us while we were gone. So thank you very much. It was an incredible experience. We're all still processing through it. But uh, give them a round of applause, church. Thank you. Thanks, guys. As they uh, make the transition down, we are, as Bill said, starting a new series this morning. Um, it's called the Kazone, and uh, I'll let you know what that means here in a little bit. Um, by hundred students, travelers, they were here first service early, and uh, so I told them they could leave after that. So they're not being rude. Don't think anything less of them. Um, before I get into Kazone, though. Um, there, there's something that God has put on my heart that, that we need to talk through first. So, so the sermon's kind of broken into two parts, all right? And this is the first part. Um, I want you to think about what your personal hobbies are. What do you enjoy doing? Uh, think about that, because I'm going to ask for responses here in a second. Um, I, I've discovered running. The last couple of years, I've become a runner. Um, I've run a few half marathons and a full marathon. I've got a half marathon coming up this Saturday. A hobby that I never anticipated enjoying. I hated running. You know, it was something I never enjoyed doing before. Um, I, I love wilderness. I grew up out in the woods. Um, we were camping all the time and backpacking and, and whitewater rafting and things like that. And um, In fact, in um, just a few weeks, I'm going out to California. My uh, cousin's getting ordained as a Catholic priest, and so he's getting ordained at the L.A. Uh, Archdiocese out there. And So I'm going to go for his ordination and then in the, you know, watch him conduct his first ever Mass and um, and then his brother and his brother-in-law and I are going backpacking for three days in Kings Canyon, Sequoia National Park. I'm um, just going to go out there and enjoy that time. That's always rejuvenating to me. Um, reading. I love to read. Uh, reading is a, a big hobby of mine. 
I'm reading a book right now. It's a fictional novel uh, set back in Stalin area of the Soviet Union involving the KGB and this mass murder and all this stuff. It's just a a great, enjoyable read. Um, What are your hobbies? What do you enjoy doing? Golfing. Golfing. Most frustrating game on earth. And by the way, that was the first response from last service too. So thanks. Football. Football. Yeah, absolutely. I heard a over here in the front row too. So about I don't know what that means. I'm not I'm not going to add commentary on that. So working outside, like yard, lawn, things like that. Okay. All right. Um, by the way, FYI, we're going to be starting a community garden here at the church. And uh, all, the, all the produce we raise is going to go to local food pantries, give them fresh produce. So all you green thumb people, not me, um, enjoy working in the community garden and bless the community. So absolutely. What else? Don't get nervous. The pastor's walking around. Don't worry about that. Being a mom. That is a hobby, a career, a lifestyle, everything, everything and more. Absolutely. I love my role as a father. That's one of my favorite things. What else? Watching grandchildren play sports. Watching grandchildren play sports. Absolutely. Very good. Hand up over there. Walking. Very good. Um, so far, these are normal. This is good. Last service, we had playing with duct tape. Um, so I taught him how to tape middle schoolers to the brick wall. So we had a spontaneous lesson. Seriously, um, I got the chair out and I showed him how to do it so he could do it to his little brother. So um, great, great youth group activity. Let me, let me ask this question. What if we were honest with ourselves and we would say that sometimes we treat our faith, this Christian life, um, our devotion to God, I'm going to represent it with the Bible here. What if we were honest with ourselves and sometimes we treat this as a hobby and we pick it up when the timing is right, when it's convenient, when it seems appropriate? And then when we're done with it, we had a good experience, and we, we set it down, and we go on to another part of our life. And we, maybe we go to work, but we don't take our faith with us. And we have our Monday through Friday career. And, uh, you know, somewhere in the middle, we, we spend time with our family, our spouse, our kids. And they're like, oh, yeah, wait, I got small groups, so I got to go back and pick up my faith. And I got to take it with me to small group because I got to talk the right language. I got to look good. I got to have the right answers. And then we get done with small groups and our snacks. Because you've got to have snacks in small groups, right? Um, so we get done with our snacks, and we go, hey, that was really good. Um, but that's not really relevant to my fishing trip this weekend, uh, to my travels. What if we were honest with ourselves? And just admit that most of us do that fairly often. Maybe not all the time. Maybe we never thought of it that way. But we, we make our faith, this commitment to God, convenient, comfortable. I love the picture in the Old Testament of the nation of Israel. Israel is God's chosen nation uh, to represent him to the world. And I love how God interacts with the nation of Israel. Um, As they're leaving um, Egypt under Pharaoh's captivity in Exodus chapter 13, here's what it says. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So picture this. There are a million plus Israelites leaving Egypt. God said, I want you to go. Moses, go get my people, you know, set them free. And God says, okay, to guide you, I'm going to give you this pillar of cloud during the daytime. And at night when it's dark, I'll give you a pillar of fire. 
And then wherever those pillars go, that's where I want you to go. That's pretty easy. I'm like, if I see this ginormous pillar of fire and it's going right, I'm okay, I'm going to go right. If it's going left, I'm going to go left. You know, that's pretty easy. Wouldn't it be nice if God worked that way? Wouldn't it be nice if everything in our life, here's God saying, Here, here's what I want you to do, here's what I want you to go. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire? And we read later, and they're, they're in the wilderness, in Numbers chapter 9. Sorry. I'm messing with Chip, roaming around here, testing his skills. Uh, the cloud settles above this thing called the tabernacle. It says, On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. And that's how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. And wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites camped. So here's the picture. The cloud is there. It's in the middle. It's in the camp. And the cloud starts to move. And the Israelites all say, okay, time to break camp. Let's travel. Wherever the cloud goes and stops, that's where we set up camp. That's pretty easy. We know what God's doing. We're following after him. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out. And at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. And when the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp. Then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning, one night. And when it lifted in the morning, they set out. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they'd set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. So here's the nation of Israel, wandering around in the wilderness for 40-some-odd years. Wherever the cloud, whenever it lifted, they'd break camp. They'd follow the cloud, and wherever the cloud stopped, that's where they stopped. Do you think that their faith in God was a hobby at this point? Do you think there's times where the pillar started to move, and they just go, I'm not ready for that. You know, that's a little too inconvenient to break camp and move right now. Gosh, I was really comfortable here, God. I, want to, I just kind of want to stay here. There's nice water and food. And, you know, do we really have to go out in the wilderness again? God, can't we just stay here? You know, if you had a pillar of fire and God said, follow me, most of us would probably be willing to follow that because that's what we're looking for. We're looking for God to work in our lives that way. And what's this whole tabernacle thing about? Uh, we read in Exodus 25, the verse here on the, is on the screen for you. Um, the tabernacle is the physical residence of God here on earth. God resided with the nation of Israel. Exodus 25 says to build this thing. And God says, I will come down and I will dwell among you. And he gives very specific instructions. In fact, the rest of Exodus from chapter 25 to chapter 40 is all instructions on how to build this tent. I've got a picture here from my trips to Israel. Um, this is a recreation of the tabernacle. Uh, this is what they would set up and, and tear down every time the pillar of, of cloud and fire moved. And we're up on a hill. We're kind of a ways so you can get a, a big scope of it. But it's, it's pretty big. I mean, not huge, but, but pretty good size. And uh, they had everything in there that, that the scriptures talk about that was in the tabernacle. And that is where God resided in the midst of this nation. Now, question for you. Where did God reside in the camp of the Israelites? Where was the tabernacle? Anyone? In the center. 
Uh, we've got a, a numbers nine or numbers two and three talk about the arrangement of the camp. Here's a diagram. But the tabernacle existed in the very center of the nation of Israel. And certain tribes lived in the north and certain tribes in the south and certain tribes in the east and certain tribes in the west. And they all camped in their designated spots, but it all revolved around what God was doing. Their calling in life as a follower and worshiper of God was when God moved, they moved. When God said stop, they stopped. In fact, when King Solomon eventually builds a permanent temple, uh, we've got a picture here, kind of a model of it, uh, no longer a mobile structure, but God says he will reside there in that temple in the Holy of Holies. King Solomon prays a prayer. And in his prayer, I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can read it in uh, 1 Kings chapter 8. Um, he says at the very end of his prayer, go ahead and go to the next slide if you would. Your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord our God, to live by his decrees and obey his commands. Can we be honest and say that we struggle with that? We struggle as individuals and even as a church to be fully committed to the Lord our God. There are areas in our lives that we hold on to and we will not release and let go of. That God is saying, I want you to let go. He wants to pry our hands open because we're holding on to this thing so tight. We're not trusting God with this certain area of our life. It could be anything. I mean, there are a multitude of things. Can we just be honest and say there's times where we, we haven't fully surrendered our lives to God? That we haven't surrendered our minds, our hearts, our devotion to God? That we haven't surrendered our family, our home, our very lives to God? See, we're going to talk for the next five weeks about a God-given vision for your life. God wants to do something in your life that is so much more than you could ever imagine. He has a dream for your life that's bigger and better than anything you've ever thought of before. But to realize that, to achieve that dream, to pursue that dream, we have to be fully surrendered to God. We read Jesus' words in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Before I get into Kazon today, we're going to have a time here. Nate's going to come out. He's going to sing a song for us. And what I want you to do is, as he plays the song, I want you to pray. Confess to God. I'm going to be doing the same thing. Confess to God there's areas in your life where you, you fall short. Ask God to open your eyes to those areas. Ask him to, to work the spirit in your life that you begin to yield more of your life to him. And this is a lifelong process. We will never arrive. But we need moments like these where we sit and we contemplate, we reflect on our own lives and what God wants to do in us. So listen to the song and pray and come before God and surrender your life to Him this morning. Just rest in your arms
Father, we want to be a people that lay it all down, surrender everything to you. Our hopes, our dreams, our aspirations, things we thought we'd be, places we thought we'd live, things we thought we'd own. Father, you... You own it all. Those are easy words to say, but not easy words to live out. Father, would you help me, Chris, to hold on loosely to my dreams, to hold on loosely to what I would want my life to look like, Would you help me be willing to kneel down before you and give you my all? Trusting you. Trusting that that your plan is bigger and better than anything I could come up with. Father, I ask that you would find a way in my life and in our life as a church, as individuals in this church, that we could see you at work. We could see pillars before us, directing us. And yet at the same time, we know we need to live in faith and obedience and dependence and trust. Father, we surrender all to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Um.
Kazon. Kazon. Not calzone. I'm hungry. It's close to lunch. We're not dealing with calzones. Kazone is a Hebrew word. It means vision, revelation, purpose. And the idea is that God has for every human being on the face of the earth through the history of the world and all for future people, God has a specific kazone designed for you. And what this series is hopefully going to do is give you a path, a direction to begin to discover what that God-given purpose is. Um, each week, we're going to teach on a specific topic, and I'll talk about those here in a few moments. And we're going to give you homework. You're going to have homework today, okay? Things that you need to go home this week and, and contemplate and consider and reflect on and pray about. Um, so we'll give that to you for the next four weeks. And then the fifth week, Bill is going to kind of merge all of that together to begin to paint a picture for you of what your zone may be. The reality is we, we see this in certain people throughout history. If I throw out the name uh, Billy Graham, what was his vision? What was his purpose, his revelation? What was his kazone? Evangelism, absolutely. That drove him. The desire to introduce people to Jesus Christ to save them from hell drove Billy Graham. Every day he woke up with a passion and a purpose and a desire to see that kazone fulfilled. Mother Teresa Ministering to the needy. Every morning that woman woke up, small, slight uh, frame of body, but powerful in passion, and started ministries all over Calcutta, led hundreds and hundreds of people into serving the poor and the neglected and the homeless, uh, sacrificing so much because she had discovered at one point God's kazone for her life. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. What was his driving purpose? Quality, racial reconciliation. Uh, the the speech that he gave on the the uh, the mall there in Washington D.C. is one of the most powerful speeches that's ever been delivered in this country. The "I Have a Dream" speech. I want you to hear just a couple minutes of that speech. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners Will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood? I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. No. Wow, there we go. Some of you are sitting here thinking, though, I'm no Billy Graham. I'm no Mother Teresa. I'm no Martin Luther King. Neither were they at one point. 
all they did was yield their life to God, to follow what He wanted to do in their life. And I think that God wants to do something like that in all of us. Maybe we'll never be known beyond a handful of people. It's not that our name needs to be lifted up. In fact, God's name needs to be lifted up more than our name does. Maybe, maybe your level of influence will, will be a few hundred people. Maybe it's a few thousand. Maybe it's the world. Who knows? But until you surrender your life to God, until you begin to pursue God's purpose and calling for your life, you'll never know. God's causon is not reserved for the super spiritual, the spiritually elite. God's causon is for every human being, man, woman, and child on the face of the earth. And, and, and I think of people like Rick. Uh, I met Rick in Honduras, and, and uh, Rick is a Tennessee boy. He and his wife grew up in Tennessee and um, in the hills, and, and you can take the boy out of the hills of Tennessee, but you can't take Tennessee out of the boy. Um, I mean, you walk around with camouflage you know, stuff on all the time down in Honduras and lives in the capital of, of Honduras, Tegucigalpa, a city that's huge. And uh, he worked for YFC, discovered at one point his calling, his cousin, was to work with youth, and God led him to Honduras. And so he works there in, in one of the city dumps where there's uh, several hundred people that live in the city dump in shacks. And they have a school on the outskirts of the city dump. And he provides youth ministry uh, for the middle schools and middle schoolers and high schoolers that live in the local city dump. Uh, Rick also, he and his wife, serve in the, the women's juvenile detention center. And there they met a, a girl named Maria. And I wish I could tell you the whole story because it, it will give you shivers. Um, but he met a girl named Maria, and she, she had a baby uh, in the prison, was um, sexually active with one of the guards in the prison, had a baby. And uh, he ended up adopting her and that baby and her younger brother and sister. And he and his wife couldn't have kids. They have four Honduran children now. And I wish I could tell you his full story, but I think of Rick. I, I think of, of um, Jerry. Uh, many of you may know Jerry, Jerry Trachek, who had a heart for uh, men who are struggling and are homeless and began to just bowl in a china shop, meet the needs of these men. And as a result, built, you know, helped build Peoria Rescue Ministry and leads that still today. And if you ever get a chance to meet Jerry, um, he is a hard-driving man all the time for Christ, will never back down, will never give up, and he will be going until the day he dies. I think of a woman named Jan, who is a retired nurse in Roanoke, um, who has no real leadership gifts, she'll tell you that, um, but she went out to West Coast to visit her daughter and, and saw this whole thing that kind of looks like what we have now called Snack Pack and came home with a burden that God had put on her heart. And said, I want to do something about this. So uh, she just started rallying churches and businesses and individuals and said, it's, it makes no sense that in our community here that any child should go over the weekend without a meal. And so she started this whole program, and we've, we've latched on to that. These are ordinary people who just said, God, what is my purpose? What is my reason for existence at this time in this place? And I want to fulfill that. In Acts chapter 13, Paul is teaching in, in Antioch. And uh, he goes to the synagogue, as was his custom, and, and he's invited to speak. And so he gets up and he begins to tell these Jewish people their own history. And he says, you remember, remember when we came out of Egypt and we wandered in the wilderness and, and we had David and Solomon and all these people, and, and then we had Christ and, and what Christ did for us on the cross. And I love what he says here about, about David. Uh, he says in verse 36, 13, 36, For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation... He fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. He was contrasting the fact that Christ hadn't, his body hadn't decayed. But uh, besides the point, what I love there is that David had a specific purpose in his generation, in his time, and he pursued that wholeheartedly, completely surrendered. 
And, and, and the question is, are we pursuing our purpose in our generation? You do realize that one day you're going to die, right? You're not just discovering this right now, hopefully. I mean, death has a 100% success rate for every person in this room. And my question is, what do you want your obituary to say about you? He was a good man, and he had a wife and kids, grandchildren, volunteered in scouting, lived a good life, he'll be missed. He had chicken and corn and potatoes at his meal. Or do you want your obituary and you want your funeral to say a little something more about you and about what God did in you and through you? So here's your homework. Get out your notes. Grab a pen. I'll make this available if you can't write it down or can't keep up, but uh, just email me, chris at greatoakcc.org. I want you to answer these questions this week. Picture your obituary. Picture your, your funeral. The thing that was most important to me was what? One or two things. That when you, you're at your funeral, well, you're not going to be there. Uh, you'll be there, but not really. Can't hear it. Um, your family and friends, when they look back on your life and they say, wow, this is what he or she was all about. This is what was most important. Number two, people say, I stood for what? What, was it, what is it in your life that you will not back down on? That maybe it's a, a, a level of injustice uh, that you're, just, you're not willing to back away from and you're going to be a bull in a china shop and take care of that injustice. But maybe it's a, a stand that you took in this world. What is it that you stood for? Uh, number three, I made a difference in the world by what? When you come to your final day, and people look back on your life. Will they say that you helped make the world a better place? That you changed the world? Fourth, God was glorified because I what? See, our lives as followers of Christ are not ours. They're not about us. We exist to worship him and to elevate him in this world. And so the question is, how did you do that in your lifetime? How was God's name glorified in this world because of your life. People knew I loved them because what? What did you do? How did you live? How did you respond? God says to love him and love others. How did you love others? What will people say about you? That this stood out. He, he or she always did this for other people. And lastly, the reason I expect God to say, well done, good and faithful servant, is what? What is going to get God to say, Chris, well done, good and faithful servant? What's going to happen in your life that God is going to look at you and go, you got it. You did it. I, I called you to that, and you, man, you, you pursued it with passion, uh, with, with purpose, and you followed through. Good job. I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud of you, daughter. What's God going to be able to say to you? What in your life is God going to say that about? You see, when we discover our cause zone, there's no more questions. There's no more wandering. There's no more searching. We wake up every morning with passion and energy and, and a desire to just fulfill our cause zone in this world. Is that how you currently wake up in the morning? I don't know. I struggle with that. 
times where I roll out of bed and I'm like, oh, another day. Kind of just want to go back to bed. Too early. Really? I got that meeting? I got to have that conversation? And it's intermittent with moments where it's just like God is working. But what if every moment of every day you could just sit in the glory of God and know that you were doing exactly what God made you for? And you, whether, no matter what it was, I mean, in your career, in your family, in your community, in the world, whatever it is, but every moment you go, this is for you, God. I am pursuing your cause for my life. That's the goal of this series. We're going to look over the next three weeks at three areas. We've got a kind of a Venn diagram here for you. Next week, we're going to talk about our core values. What is it that's most important to you that drives you? Uh, Bill's going to teach on spiritual gifts. What is it that God has, has uniquely gifted you to do uh, for his glory, not for your own? And what are your past experiences, good, bad, or indifferent, that God wants to use to change the world, to minister to other people? And so we're going to look at those three over the next three weeks, and you'll have homework every week. And in the fifth week, as I said, Bill's going to kind of blend all of those together, and there in the middle, you'll begin to see your cause-own shape uh, come, to, come to shape. And you're not going to, like, it's not enough just to see it. I mean, you've got to start pursuing this and to kind of trial and error and, and see it. I, I'm, I do this in the second step class that we've just developed. And I'm having lunch with a guy on Wednesday who went through this process. And he's discovered, you know what, I, I, I think God is calling me to get involved in missions somehow. I don't know what that means and looks like. And he's an executive in Caterpillar. And, I, you know, I don't know if God's going to call him to give up that career or just use the money that he makes to bless missionaries. I don't know what he's going to do. We're going to meet this Wednesday. We're going to begin to have these conversations. What is God doing in your life? How are these three things merging together and God wants you to do? And so that's our goal for this series is that you begin this process and that we become a church filled with people who are pursuing God's cause for their life. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakcc.org.